we're actually going to finish off the uh, Matthew, uh, finish off the, the sent series we have been in for the past few weeks now, uh, looking at what does it mean to be a sent people? How does God send us out into this world? Have we, you know, what, what are our marching orders? And uh, today we are looking at, um, this is our final one in the series, looking at Matthew 28, the very last few verses, often known as the Great Commission, um, where, you know, commissioning as in like, Jesus commissions his followers, his disciples, and, uh, and we're just really going to work our way through these verses today, and I'll try and draw out um, just a few things that I think might, God might be wanting to say to us um, in this season, really, from these verses. So just a little bit of background, really, before we, you know, we read through and work our way through this. Um, what had happened is, is Jesus had been crucified, and he had then risen from the dead, and in Matthew's account, what you have uh, is some, some of the women go to the tomb uh, on the Sunday morning early on. Um, it describes how Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to visit the tomb. All kinds of events happen. And uh, eventually they meet the risen Jesus, who, um, who, who they recognize. And, uh, and basically he, he, he tells them, you know, kind of, tell my disciples to meet me back in Galilee, kind of where it all began. And, uh, and so the women go back and tell the other disciples, they say, Jesus has told us, you know, we need to go to, back to Galilee. He's going to meet you there. Now, I, I suppose for me, um, I, I just wonder with me for a moment about what that journey would have been like for the disciples. They've spent three years with this man, this Jesus, their, their kind of rabbi, their teacher, their leader. It, it all went wrong when he was crucified, left them in kind of confusion, what on earth is going on? And, uh, and then they hear, or, uh, he's come back to life again. Some of them have obviously seen him as well, but they're on, this, they're on this journey back, like to meet up with Jesus again. Can you imagine how they would have been feeling on that journey? The, the, the anticipation, like, will he show up? What, what will he say? What will he be like? Like he's been through death and resurrection. Um, you know, what, what's it gonna be like? What's he gonna say? Like, what, what does this mean for the future? Like, what, what's our next chapter going to be? Because we thought it was all over, and then he's come back to life again, and we've spent three years with him. What, like, how long is he going to stay around? What's he going to say to us? Like, it, there must have been a huge amount. Of, I, I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the donkey on that journey back to uh, Galilee. You know, like, what, what would they have been chatting about? I, I, would, I would imagine that would have been a pretty fun journey of, like, trying to guess what is going to happen when they meet up with Jesus. So anyway, we're going to read through what actually does happen. Uh, this is Matthew 28. We start at verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Uh, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Now, th- this is really interesting here for me. You know, Jesus takes them back in, in Matthew what you have is um, really Jesus' public ministry starts on a mountainside uh, in the, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount where he, he kind of gathers the disciples and then he starts his public ministry. And so he's, there's, a, there's a thing here that Matthew is doing. Like there are significant moments all through the Bible where like things happen on mountains. And so you know something significant is going to happen when they G- meet Jesus on a mountain. And it's kind of bringing, it's, it's bookending it here. You've had it at the beginning of his ministry. Now you have it right at the end. He gathers his disciples and then he gives them instructions. 
And, uh, and the response of the disciples, I just find really interesting. So it says, doesn't it? It says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Now, it's just interesting to think. Like, there was a decision there for Matthew when he is writing this gospel, this account. He's one of the 11. He's one of them that was there. Why did he choose to say, but some of them doubted? Like, if you were trying to make yourself look good, you just wouldn't include that, would you? I, I love the brutal honesty there. You know, they, some of these, this is the 11. It doesn't say, you know, these were big crowds who kind of had a half in, half out with Jesus. These were the 11 who had followed Jesus for three years. They meet the resurrected Jesus. They see him. They bow down in worship. And yet, while they worship, some of them are doubting. Some of them aren't quite sure what is going on here. The, the word for doubt used is only used in one other place in the Gospels. And, uh, and it's where Peter is walking on the water, where Jesus invites him out of the boat. And Peter steps out of the boat onto the water. And he's walking on the water. But then he doubts. It, it, there's this, this sense in, in the original language of it being, he's kind of double-minded. It's like, yeah, but I, I, can, I can see Jesus and, and I can do this, but I can see the waves as well. It's kind of this caught in two minds idea. It's just fascinating to me that, that the, the, some of the 11 doubted in this moment. They were face to face with their Jesus, resurrected, they're worshipping, and yet some of them are still kind of caught in two minds. Is it really him? Is this really happening? Am I, uh, is this reality? Is this, uh, you know, is this really him? I, I, I find that incredible that they include a detail like that. And I wonder, what does it mean for us? It means that you don't have to resolve all of your doubts before Jesus can commission you and use you. You think about who these disciples were. They had three years of experience with him. You don't need to be a, have been a Christian for you know, 10, 20, 30 years before you can be commissioned and start telling others about him. You don't have to have sorted everything out in your life before you can be used by him in his mission. You can even share your faith with other people while having your own doubts about what you believe. Jesus commissions them anyway, regardless of these doubts. And I, I just want to, you know, I want to encourage us to be real and to be honest. For some of you, this is maybe all you need to hear today, and you can switch off your TV or go to sleep now. Like, some of you, I just feel today, need to hear this. The, the Bible, the, the gospel writers don't hide this stuff. It's kind of warts and all. Some of you probably feel a tension, like, when I'm in life group, is it okay to talk about the fact that I maybe have a few doubts about things, that I'm really not sure about that bit or this bit or the whole of it? If you face that temptation, I think reading this should encourage you. It is okay to be honest. It is good to be honest if you have doubts. There's no need to hide that away. You can be real and honest because the Bible is about those things as well. Okay, we're going to read on verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. There is something here in this passage about how Jesus is, is just front and center. He makes it all about him. 
I often think back to, some of you will have done the Alpha course, and it's a point that Nicky Gumbel makes, in that we think of most religious great teachers as being people who point elsewhere. They point to God. Jesus is quite unique in that he points to himself throughout. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And here, it's, I have been given all authority. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to, to, obey, to obey all the commands I have given you, and surely I am with you. It's all about him. He takes center stage. One of our distinctives as a church, one of the kind of statements we use to describe who we are and what we're about uh, is this. It's around the word Jesus, and what we say is, at the head and heart of our faith is a person. It's all about him. This is one of those passages that makes that really clear. Jesus makes it all about him, and we want to make it all about him as well. We're going to read on verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. This is, this is the, the actual commissioning, the kind of therefore, go and make, all, make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching people to obey all the commands I have given you. Now, the, I was always told in all of my kind of studies over the years, you've probably heard this one before, it's one of my, like my favorite cliches to be used in Christian teaching, is where there is a therefore, you need to ask, what is it? Therefore, you all, you're all well-versed in this, aren't you? So what, what the therefore, for me, is this, I have been given authority, therefore, go. One of my favorite um, TV series of all time is Band of Brothers. Anyone else a Band of Brothers fan? Yeah, a few, few out there. If you're not, you should be. Go and watch it. It is very, very good TV. A little bit kind of gritty at points, certainly, but effectively tells the story of, um, of Easy Company, who were a, a, a band of, of men trained in the U.S. Um, Army, and, uh, and they, uh, there's some great characters. In episode one, my favorite episode of the whole thing, uh, you get Captain Sobel. Is he Captain? Or, I can't remember his rank, but he, uh, Sobel is in charge of them, and he whips them into shape, and he's horrible, and he's brutal. He's played by David Schwimmer, really just plays that part really, really well. And, uh, and these men, they are, they are waiting in episode one, in a, at an airbase in the UK, and they are waiting to, to be dropped behind enemy lines in World War II into Nazi-occupied France behind the front lines, and they have some kind of big tasks to do. It's a really tough mission, but they are waiting at this airfield. And when you think about soldiers, and the mission, they have a mission. They, they knew what their mission would be. They were given their orders. But they had, to, they had to wait and be told to go by people in authority. An army would be in absolute chaos if they just went, oh, shoot, what do you think, lads? Is now the time to go? And what do you think, Bobby? Uh, no, I, I just finished my cup of tea and then we're off. Like, you don't get to do that as a soldier. You, you have lines of authority, and it's the authority, the correct people making the decisions who say, now, load up in your planes, you are off. And the therefore is there because Jesus has been given all authority. So it's him. 
It's him who gets to say to us, go or not go. It's, it's, not, a, you know, it's, it's not kind of down to us to decide, well, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up with my best plan for what my purpose in life is going to be. I'm going to work this one out on my own, and when I feel like it, I'm off. Like, it, it doesn't work like that, does it? This is Jesus saying, I have been given all authority, therefore, go. And this is what he tells us to do. It's, it's your mission should you choose to accept it. The only thing here that I think is missing is the kind of, you know, um, how, how does it go? This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Smoke. Anyone else enjoy the uh, Mission Impossible TV series back in the day, yeah? Probably not. That was a, a niche quote probably, wasn't it? About three of you got that one. But anyway, your mission should you choose to accept it is to go where? To the people of all nations. To, to people everywhere, to everyone, not just nice people, not just people you think, oh, it'd be great to be called to them, not just the, the nice parts of the world. Yes, I feel called to Hawaii, to the Caribbean, to lovely places. No, all people everywhere. We have been called to go to people of all nations. The reality is Pete touched on this last week, didn't he? Some people are called to go further, to go elsewhere. Um, I, I say hats off to anyone who hears that call and goes as somebody who is currently living two miles from the hospital where he was born and hasn't lived any further than 12 miles from that same hospital. Uh, my hats are off to anyone who hears the, the call of God to go further, to be called. Some people are called to go further. Many people are called to go deeper. A lot of us are called to go deeper where we are, into the community that we inhabit, not to kind of, you know, keep ourselves from, from, from mingling with, with the unchristians, with the world, to keep ourselves separate. No, we're called to get embedded into the, the, the community around us, the people, the places, the institutions. And, and that's what I love about this church. We are. You, we just are, aren't we? Like, there are people in schools and colleges and workplaces. You are sent into those places. The key thing is that everybody has been sent somewhere. Even if you've never heard the specific call of God of like, God, I want you to go here, because you are somewhere and because God sent, Jesus commissioned everybody to go into all the nations, wherever you are, you have been sent already. We don't have to wait around for a kind of a booming voice from the sky saying, yes, now I'm calling you to go. You have been called to go. You are sent to your workplace, to your street, to your sports club, to the school gate. You have been sent. And what have you been sent to do? You've been sent to make disciples, to create lifelong followers of Jesus, lifelong learners, disciples of Jesus. We're not called to hit and run evangelism where you, you know, bosh somebody over the head with the gospel and then never see them again. That might be appropriate at times and I'm not going to knock that, but we are actually called to make disciples. It doesn't say here you are called to make converts. You are called to make disciples, people whose lives are reoriented towards God and to learning and to following him. If you think about it, wherever throughout the New Testament, wherever the gospel spreads, where the good news is preached, they, they plant local churches because the best way to make disciples is to get people plugged into local groups of believers who can disciple one another. Part of discipleship is seeing people, yes, the good news preached and people receiving that, but then seeing them embedded into a local church family where they can 
be discipled, where we can all be discipled together. And then baptized. So at that point of profession of faith, we baptize people. It's their public way of saying, yes, I have repented and believed. We're actually going to be doing on our last Sunday here before we break for the, the summer break on the 18th of July, we're going to be doing a baptism. If you have never been baptized before and you're just kind of saying yes to Jesus, you want to follow him, you've repented and put your trust in him and you want to get baptized, come and have a chat and we would love to baptize you on the 18th of July. It is even allowed in COVID times, so it's a little bit different, but we are able to baptize people. We're going to do that on the 18th of July. Now, when we're making disciples here, you know, you, you've got it, a lot of the imagery around disciples is based on, the, on the, the kind of Old Testament understanding of a rabbi and his followers. And Jesus was, uh, in many ways, a rabbi and his followers were his disciples. So you have this relationship between them where he is their teacher, everyone else is a learner. He has the authority, the rest of us submit. He is the leader we follow. The, the, the rabbi would call a disciple by name. And then the, the job of the disciple really was to learn. I mean, in Old Testament times, you, or even when Jesus was around, the, if you were a disciple, you would have already memorized the Jewish scriptures. So you didn't really need to read your Bible as such. You just had to work out what is the outworking, what are the implications. And you had to learn this from your rabbi. I don't know if you knew this, little aside, but a, when a rabbi gives his kind of interpretation and outworking of um, kind of his understanding of the scripture and what that means for daily life, it's called, it's called a rabbi's yoke. So when Jesus says, my yoke is easy, he's actually talking about his interpretation, his outworking, the way you live your life in light of the truth in scripture. That's the yoke that is easy. And that's what it means to be a disciple. We, we learn his yoke. We take on his interpretation and we live it out and imitate him. Becoming a disciple is a, is a kind of whole life revolving around him. Not, not a faith that is an add-on to an already kind of okay life. This is about fully embracing Jesus and his teaching. We pick this up in the next bit as well. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. This isn't like an optional extra of like, yeah, for some who, after you've preached the gospel and they've put their trust in Jesus, then some people we want to teach them and, and it's all about obeying. It's all part of the same thing. When you come to faith in Christ, it's about putting your whole life under his authority and his teaching. And we should be eager to say, yes, God, I want to, I want to learn from you, Jesus. I want to obey all the stuff you command. Not, not, here's the thing, like his commands are good. <laughs> Might not be easy all the time, but it's, it's good. It is good for us. It is good for other people. If you, if you managed to look at all the commands of Jesus and you lived out each one perfectly, you would be a wonderful person to be around. You'd be having a wonderful impact on the world around you, wouldn't you? Like I would be too, if I did that. That would be amazing to do. It's not like, you know, you, you end up obeying the commands of Jesus and you're suddenly the most boring person on earth. You, you would be a wonderful person if you managed to do that. And that's our aim, isn't it? We're never going to get there this side of eternity. But our aim is to teach one another to obey all that God, that Jesus has commanded us. And then the final bit, which I think comes as huge assurance, given the, the magnitude of the commissioning that Jesus has just done. He says this in the last half of verse 20, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end 
of the age. This is reassuring, isn't it? After, you know, after being told you are sent and you, you've got a mission, you've got, God's got plans and purposes for you to outwork in your everyday life. The truth is we are never on our own. It's his mission and he is with us. It's not our mission and we're never on our own. One of our, one of our other distinctives as a church, we use the word sent We talk about being a people sent by God, carrying his presence wherever we go. We are sent and we take him with us. He is with us on every step of the way. Again, this is kind of Matthew. You're getting a a little bit of kind of book ending here. So in Matthew 1, uh, the angel visits Joseph and says that they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right at the start of Matthew, God with us in Jesus. At the very end, the very last words of Matthew's account, I am with you. It's this echoing, this kind of book ending. I just love Matthew for stuff like that. So the truth is, when you're at work and someone asks you, what did you do at the weekend? And you have that choice, you have that moment. We think, shall I tell them I was at church or not? Shall I just tell them about my Saturday and not my Sunday? Like, you face that choice. The truth is, he's with you in that moment. Jesus is with you by his spirit in that moment. When a friend out of the blue catches you unawares and says, so why are you a Christian again? In that moment of panic, your heart rate starts going, it's thumping in your chest. God is with you in that moment. When your family member is questioning their faith and you're trying to just encourage them and speak truth and life into them and you're worried about where is this headed that they're questioning things, he is with you in that moment. In any situation or circumstance that you can think of where you might think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm at risk here, I'm vulnerable, I am. There's, a, there's a moment to share, there's a moment to put this great commission into action. In that moment, you can be assured that Jesus is with you by his Spirit. Be sure of this, I am with you. So I want to close by just drawing out three quick things, um, and then we're going to respond to God together. Uh, the first thing, I, I guess, is like, this is our mission. Like as, as a church, um, we currently don't have a mission statement. And um, some churches do. And I, I don't necessarily want to knock churches that do have a mission statement. Sometimes it can be really helpful to clarify like the specific thing that God has called you to. But I think it's Dallas Willard who, who kind of basically says, look, if you have to invent a mission statement that's something other than Matthew 28, you might have got something wrong. Like, it, surely this is a good enough mission statement for, for any church. Like, go into the world and make disciples, baptize people, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. This is a pretty good mission statement for a church, isn't it? So these are our marching orders. This is, this is for us as a church. This is, I believe, our mission. Uh, the second thing I want to pull out, really, is just that... Um, we're emerging from, from this kind of pandemic. I say we're emerging from it. Cases are going through the roof, right? Let's be honest about that. But the plan is for restrictions to still ease. And there's almost a moment for us as a nation, like, and for individuals, will we hold our nerve when cases go up, but hospitalizations stay low? And it's going to be tricky for everyone to navigate, absolutely. But you will be given more freedoms in the coming months, absolutely. And I, I just feel like, think, and, and our hope has been that this series will provoke each and every one of us to consider 
When restrictions ease, as I am given more freedoms, what will I prioritize? Will we stay comfortable or will we remember our sentness? Remember that we have been given a mission. We are commissioned by Jesus. The challenge to us is to, to allow that to shape our priorities as our freedoms kind of come back and we are given back those things. The third and final thing I just want to kind of pull out is that sometimes, you know when people have life verses, don't they? And a lot of people's life verses are, are kind of the encouraging verses of, you know, where God is saying something really lovely about who we are in Him. And, and those verses are great. And I, I'm, again, I'm, I'm really not kind of criticizing that at all. Sometimes we view Scripture in certain ways, don't we? So, so we think of some verses like that as really like life-giving and affirming and encouraging. And then we think of some of these more challenging things where Jesus is like sending us or asking us to do something different. We think of those as being like, oh, that's just heavy and that's hard and that's, that's difficult. And while that might be true, I want to suggest that actually a passage like this is incredibly life-giving. It is incredibly meaningful because ultimately, and I think, well, I know that you'll all agree with me in this, that getting more stuff doesn't lead to a more fulfilled life, does it? Like gathering possessions and wealth does not lead to greater satisfaction in life. Having all of your needs met and being comfortable does not lead to a satisfied, meaningful life, does it? Even being well-known and loved by many people does not ultimately lead to a satisfied life. True meaning, I want to suggest, is found in realizing what we are made for, in that God has made us for, for a purpose. The mission that he has given us is, is ultimately where we will find meaning and purpose in life. And so I, I kind of want to commend almost like a, a passage like this, that we can think of it as like a heavy burden to bear. I want to suggest that actually it's, a, it, it's where we will find true meaning in life. It's where we will ultimately find satisfaction in life, is embracing the call of God on our lives to look beyond ourselves, to look to others, to look to be good news, to look to proclaim and demonstrate the good news of God's kingdom to people everywhere. That is where we will find purpose and meaning in life. Knowing that we are sent. We're sent by Jesus, we're sent for Jesus, and we are sent with Jesus in all things. So I'm just going to pray, and then I'm, I'm going to hand over uh, to the others. Jesus, we we want to be people who embrace our calling in life. We don't want to be people who wait around, kind of trying to hear your specifics on, God, where are you calling me to? We want to be people who are embracing our sent nature. The fact, Jesus, that you gave up heaven to come to earth, to, to, to walk and be with broken people, to bring hope and life to those around you. Jesus, we want to be people who embrace that same mission. 
Jesus, we want to be people who acknowledge that you said it was actually better that you eventually left, you ascended to heaven and you sent your Holy Spirit. You felt like the best plan for this stage in history, for the redemption and transformation of this world, was people like us with the Holy Spirit inside of us, commissioned. That's actually your plan A for the world right now in redeeming the world. You said it was better for that to happen than for you as one person to carry on walking this earth. You said that that was better. That's a mind-blowing thought. And Jesus, we want to embrace that. We want to be people who say yes to you, who, who embrace the challenge of being good news to those around us. And God, we, we acknowledge that in this world, in this day and age, sometimes it can feel like the message we have might be outdated or unpopular or not well-received or cut against the grain of society or even be offensive at times. Jesus, we, we acknowledge that, but we want to be people who are so captivated by the truth of it that that doesn't really matter, that we lay that aside and we take up this great commission that you gave your followers 2,000 years ago and that you've commissioned us with too. Help us to see ourselves as sent people in our schools, in our workplaces, in our streets and neighborhoods. We want to be people embracing your call to mission, to making disciples everywhere, to baptizing people, teaching people to obey everything you commanded. Help us, God, in the reopening of restrictions, freedoms, social interaction. Help us to make it a priority to take your good news to a hurting world, to broken people around us, wherever we might be. Amen.